We're joined on Football CFB today by John Daly, former Dundee United player, Scottish Cup winner, played at Rangers, played down south as well with Stockport, Bury, among many others. First of all, John, thanks for joining me. No, thanks very much for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure to be on. The first thing I want to start with, you're well known in Scottish football, as I've said, Dundee United, Rangers, but you're most well known recently for being at Hearts, you've been a coach there, you've been an interim manager there at various times as a caretaker when previous managers have left. Since you've left Hearts, I know, I know recently you've been doing your UEFA Pro licence and working towards that. How's that experience been for you? Yeah, obviously since since le- uh, left Hearts, I've, I've tried to focus on um, on the UEFA Pro license, you know, because part of the curriculum for that is, you know, getting a club visit done and a club study. Um, so one of the first things I done when I left Hearts was I tried to arrange that, and uh, one of the other candidates on the co- on the course, Mark Spalding, was very helpful. Um, he was out in the states at the time, and he he kind of arranged and put me in touch with Tommy Wilson at Philadelphia. Um, so I, I reached out to Tommy, and you know, hadn't met him before, but I, I sent an email and. Uh, a text just to see if I could maybe come out and and have a look around Philadelphia Union, um, you know. So he was he was very very helpful and um, you know really really supportive of me going out and it was a great experience, you know, to go out to America. Um, I tied it in with the um, the Baltimore soccer convention that they have out there every year, so I went to that with Mark uh, for three days first. Had a look around that. That was incredible. You know, just the different um, the different aspects of, of of football or soccer, as they call it out there, and and all the different um, the different people that you met. You met, you know, just meeting new people, making new connections. Um, and then I went into Philadelphia after that for four days, and as I said, that was phenomenal. You know, just you know, going into a, an MLS an MLS club and. Um, yeah, just it was just it was different. You know, and I, I didn't want to go somewhere where I felt it was going to be quite similar to to what I'd already seen. So going out there was was different to to you know kind of what I'd it was probably different to even what I envisioned envisaged and you know um, what I expected. Um, and I have to you know Tommy Wilson as I said and Ian Munro was was looked after me when I was out there. The two of them were brilliant. Um, and I can't speak highly enough of, of what they did for me for that. So, so yeah, so since I've left Hearts, I've, I've been going to games, you know, doing bits of media, a bit on the radio. Um, bits of, I've, I've enjoyed the commentary. I actually done the commentary of the Rangers uh, Hearts game when Hearts beat them 2-1. Liam Boyd scored. It was a fantastic game. So, yeah, just trying to keep busy, just trying to keep, you know, keep your eye in and keep, you know, looking, keeping up to date with what's going on. Um, so, yeah, so I've been busy. Um, and as you as you mentioned there, the pro license has kept me on my toes. It's kept me busy. It's kept me focused on on certain things because you know you can you can easily just you know stop doing what you need to be doing. But I think with the with the pro license, it's always given me something, you know, giving me a focus when I haven't had probably that day to day interaction with players. Something that I must say um, makes me chuckle about um, kind of ex professionals when they retire. People must assume with yourself, John, you probably had this that you're in your forties and. You're quite a veteran, but you're still in your in your thirties. You're a young coach. You're you're still developing. You're doing the pro license. You've been in at Hearts. You've got plenty of experience there. In the future, will we see John Daly the manager? Is that something you're working towards? Um, I was about to jump in and correct you there when you mentioned in my forties. So you know, I'm glad you've done your homework because I'm only thirty-seven. Yes. <laughs> um. So yeah. So yeah, I think the pro license for me 
you know, I wanted to go on to the pro license because obviously you need that as a requisite to to be a manager in the top divisions in in uh, Europe and etc. So, um, so yeah, if I want to be a manager in in Scotland in the top division, I need to have my pro license. You know, I went on the pro license to you know a number of reasons. It was you know first and foremost, I, I want to be ready for that opportunity when it comes. Um, you know, secondly, I wanted to meet new people and and you know open my eyes to new and different ideas I suppose you know you, you kind of have an idea of how you want to do things and, and what ways you would go about things if you got the job but then you know when you when you sit down and you speak to the other candidates and you listen to their experiences and you know how they've gone about things it does it does open your eyes and it does give you maybe you know food for thought I suppose Um so yeah I think in the Going back to your question of do I want to be a manager? Hundred percent, I want to be a manager. That's you know my ambition. Um, but I, I still know it's it's a long career. You know you, you can you can manage into your sixties or seventies as some managers have done. So it can be a long career. So am I in a rush to get there? No, I'm not. Um, I want to continue to learn. I want to continue to develop um, and improve. And as I said, just keep expanding my knowledge and and you know my mind and 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 opening my mind to the different the different aspects of football. Um, but yeah, I think long-term, yes, that's my goal, to be a manager. Short-term, if that comes in the short-term, that's great. If not, then I'll continue to to just, you know, trying to learn and trying to keep developing. Absolutely. And the reason I made the comment about age is because, you know, it's like people assume that when a player retires, they must be quite old. But as you mentioned, you're 37. But at 37, you've already worked with alongside some incredible coaches and managers and mm -hmm. one of them I want to ask you about is Craig Levine and I don't want to I'm not wanting to make this a controversial question that's not why I do the podcast I feel that mm -hmm. Craig's a manager who's got lots of experience he's managed in Scotland with Hearts he's obviously managed down south with Leicester he's managed Scotland as well just what's Craig like as a coach and what did you learn from working with him? Well, I think first and foremost I've known Craig a long time eh? and I, I've you know, he signed me at Dundee United. Um, I was at Hartlepool at the time and, um, you know, I signed for Craig. Now, my views of Craig as a player and, and a coach are totally different. Eh? Like, <laughs> you know, totally different. Um, and I think that's a credit to Craig. And I think, you know, managers need to adapt with the times. The football changes all the time. And in, in four or five years' time, it will be different again. And the players coming through will be different. So you, you need to adapt and you need to... You know, if you don't adapt, I think you you fall out of the game. So I think he's he's adapted his style um, probably over the years. You know, from what I remember as a player, you know, someone who would come in and pin someone up by the wall, you know, by the throat against the wall for you know not doing something that he was asked to do. You know, he he didn't do that at Hearts. You know, so you kind of you kind of see a different side to him when you are on the coaching side. Um, his knowledge, you know, on on certain aspects of the game, you know, we would myself, Liam Austin, the manager, uh, Paul Gallagher. You know, you would sit in the the offices and you you would chat about football, and you know, you would debate different scenarios, and and you know, he would open your eyes to certain situations where you probably wouldn't. A bit, a bit like I'm speaking about the pro license. You know, when when you maybe have, you think you have a clear view on something, and then you know, someone will give you an alternative and it does it does question you know you know your your thought process and um, and it makes you think about um you know what you you believe and I think with Craig Craig used to do that quite a lot with the with myself and the other coaches you know you would 
you know, having someone of that experience, you know, uh, was a fantastic, you know, um, learning curve for me, I felt. Um, and I think, I think if you asked anyone that worked under him, I know he has the perception, you know, that, you know, he's, he has young coaches working and he pulls the strings and, and this and that. But I think first and foremost, you have a, a massive respect for him for what he has done in the game. Um, and I think, you know, if you ask Robbie Nielsen, who worked under him, and other coaches that have worked under him, I'm sure they would probably say the same thing that you know it was it was a pleasure to work with him, um, and you know you, you pick up you certainly pick up things that you will you will take with you. And there's other stuff that probably you, you maybe think that's not for me, but that's that's the way with every coach you meet. I think one thing I I, I certainly believe is that you can learn something off of everyone. You know, I, th- I really do. I think there's. Um, there's, there's someone out there that knows something different to you. And I think, you know, if you can tap into people like that, I think it will only help you in the long run. One of the things that interests me, John, about your coaching is the fact that you've coached at under-20 level with Hearts, but you also coach with the first team. What's the difference between coaching the 20s and younger players to coaching senior players in a first team environment? That's a good question. I think I, I, you're saying like about my age earlier, like, like I stopped playing when I was, I was 33 because... One of the big things for me was, you know, I wanted to get into coaching and, you know, to get an opportunity to win at a club like Hearts at the under-20s level was a, you know, a fantastic opportunity and, and one that, you know, probably at the time, when you look back, you're going, did I, did I probably deserve, did I deserve that? Probably not. But, you know, with my relationship with Craig prior to, to that, he probably seen something in me that he felt I could do that job. Um, and it was scary, yeah. It was really scary going in and, and having... You know, very limited coaching experience, um, and being chucked in the deep end with um, with young players. And I think, you know, I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed the aspects of, you know, I tried to the training sessions I tried to put on for the young players were always to try and develop them, to try and improve them, and and uh, position specific, um, if you like, you know. But I quickly learned that it's quite difficult to do that with a development squad. You know, when a manager, you know, you might have. I might have planned something to do with the defence and then, you know, numerous times Stevie Crawford would come in and be like, oh, sorry, big man, uh, Robbie needs X, Y and Z and he'd take three of my back four away. So, I'm, you know, the, them situations I felt, you know, where you had to really think on your feet um, as a coach, um, you know, and you had to, you know what players are like, you know, if, if they see you flapping, they jump on it and, you know, so you, you have to remain calm on the inside and, it's a bit like a duck, a duck swimming in water. I, I describe it, you know, on on the top they look, you know, cool and collected, but underneath their legs are going hundred mile an hour trying to swim. So I think sometimes I felt in them types of situations. But in regard to the difference, I think young players are quite receptive. I think you know, young people in general, I think are quite receptive and and they want to get better. They want to learn. Sometimes when you go to um, when you go with the first team, it might be, you know. The players probably know themselves better, and um, they have a better understanding of what they're about and what they are. Um, and it's probably just maintenance. And it's obviously yes, you're trying to get the manager's ideas across and and what he wants to do. And you know the players have to follow that. But in terms of their development, they know what they want, um, and you kind of just facilitate that, I suppose. In terms of yourself, I want to now rewind back to the start when you were growing up as a footballer. Born in the Republic of Ireland, started, you were playing with Cherry Orchard when you were a young a young kid. Were you always a striker or were you ever, because of your size and, and height, were you ever a defender and then moved forward or have you always been the goal scorer? 
No, I've always been. I've always been a striker. I've always, um, ever since I was, I can remember, I've always loved scoring goals. Um, and that's something that I just, you know, I wouldn't say it was natural. Obviously, I worked really hard, but it was just something that I had an instinct for was to score goals. And, you know, at a very young age at, at Cherry Orchard, I, I started off prior to that at a, a local team called Ashwood, which was the estate I lived in. I was seven and I played for the under nines and, you know, we had a great little team. We had a local team that, um, you know, we, we we seemed to do well and we connected them. Um, but I, I do remember, you know, from from a very, very young age, just we used to have, and I, I don't probably don't see it as much now, where, where you had the different estates would have teams and they would play against each other and, you know, out in the field. And, um, you know, we, we seemed to have a good team at that time. And then I, I was... I was very fortunate that my dad had connections at Cherry Orchard um, and I went down to the under nines trials and I, and I did really well and they signed me and, um, you know, I kind of just kicked on from there and Cherry Orchard, you know, was a fantastic um, football club for me and it's it's one of the big schoolboy clubs in Dublin. I don't know if many people know it, but it is one of the bigger schoolboy clubs in Dublin, you know, and, and it wasn't local to me. It was, you know, maybe 20, 25 minutes. I used to have to jump on a bus after school and go, you know, I wouldn't say do my homework. I didn't really do my homework on the bus. I would just do it when I needed to be done. But I, I was always focused on on wanting to be a football player. And, and you know, if, if people had asked me, well, what if football doesn't work? I would just come back with, no, that's that's what I'm doing. I'm going to be a football player. And I was very, very focused on on doing that. And, and again, very, very lucky and fortunate um, to get that opportunity. Um, you know, going, going across the Stockport when I was 15. In terms of going across the Stockport, how did that come about? Because when you think of yourself being based in, in Dublin, playing at Cherry Orchard, how did Stockport spot you when you're playing out in Ireland? Yeah, it was... It is, it's a funny one because, you know, they they had a scout, uh, Austin Spate, his name was, um, and he, he was across to some of the games. Now, I, again, I was... I played in the really good Cherry Orchard team. You know, we had uh, Wayne Henderson in goal who who went on to Aston Villa. Keith Fahey who went to Arsenal and then played for Birmingham. Uh, Daryl McMahon went to West Ham. Uh, I think there was one or two others. I can't think off the top of my head. But, you know, so there was there was always scouts at our games and, and I'd been on trials to to Everton, to... Um, I went to Arsenal on, on trial and West Ham. I went to a new, number of clubs on trial. And... and what always used to stick in my head as a kid was, you know, the, I think sometimes you, you can maybe doubt yourself at times. Yes, you can have that focus, but you can have doubts that, you know, am I as good as I think I am? Um, and I used to I used to look at players from my area that went away because we had uh, Mark Bradshaw who signed for Nottingham Forest. We had a couple that went to, I think some went to Liverpool and one went to Man- like all from the area I was in. And, Within two years, they were they were back in Ireland, and I always looked at it along the lines of: Do I want to go to a club like I could have signed for Sunderland up until the last minute? But I wanted to go to a club where I felt I would get an opportunity and an opportunity to play first team football, and then I felt if I was, you know, if I was good enough and I lucky enough, I would maybe progress onto one of them teams. Now that that was one of the main driving forces behind my decision to go to Stockport. You know, as I said, Austin, Austin Spade came across, um, seeing myself and I think it was Keith Fatty. We both went to, to Stockport on trial. Um, we, we did really well. They asked us back over. Um, Keith decided to go to Arsenal. 
um, and I just got a good vibe. Um, and, you know, my family got a good vibe. They felt I'd be looked after there. Um, so, yeah, it was kind of along that way that I, I was playing for Cherry Orchard. I got scouted, went over, played a couple of games, done well. And then they offered me a, a scholarship or a, a YTS, um, as it was back then, where, you know, I had a, a YTS with a year's pro contract on the back of that, I think. Um, yeah, so so that was that was kind of my, my thinking behind going to Stockport. Like, it wouldn't have been the most fashionable decision back then, I suppose. You know, as I said, you had a lot of cl- a lot of players going to Man United, Arsenal, Liverpool's, uh, Sunderland, West Ham. Like, there was going to the Premiership, whereas I kind of chose to go to the Championship. I think, I'm sure it was League One or something back then, but it was a Division One. You know, I'm trying to think of the different names it was, but it was basically the equivalent to the Championship um, is now. You mentioned the fact you make that decision to go there. I always think when you're, especially like boys in Scotland, boys in Ireland, when you go down south, even at a young age, you must maybe be naturally nervous. Will I be able to replicate my goal scoring or my individual performances when I go there? But you made an immediate impact in the youth team and then the reserve team. You were you were very comfortable there. And I mean that in the best possible sense. I don't mean that in a complacent sense. I mean that in a, a sense of comfort that you belong there because... You impressed the manager very quickly. Yeah, I, I think, you know, I went across, as I said, I went across at 15. So, you know, it, it is young. When I look back now, it's a very young age to leave to leave home. And um, But again, I go back to, you know, that I had that probably focus and that belief that that's what I wanted to do. And, um, you know, I probably didn't have time to think about, is this is this a scary move or is it what? I'm, and, and also I think the fact that, like, you know, it's it was a half an hour flight to Manchester from Dublin. So if I was, you know, homesick or I did feel, you know, that I missed home at all, I could just speak to the manager and they were really, really good in terms of, you know, they, they would let me go home if I if I felt, you know, that way inclined. I didn't have many um many visits back home where I felt like I wanted to go home and see people. Because to be fair, my family were, were great as well. They would come across quite regularly to see me. Um so I didn't actually feel you know, I just felt like it was a home away from home, and I, I, I just, I just took to it really well. And um, again, it, it, the environment you're in, where people, you feel like you're, you know, you feel like you're appreciated, you feel like you're wanted. Um, you know, and I think that does help young players in general when, you know, when they feel like they're they're valued. Um, you know, so that's something that you know, when I went in the Hearts, I wanted to make the players feel like they were valued and they were needed, even if they were, you know, surplus to requirements for the first team. You know, if you can if you can treat people in the right way, and I think I learned that very very early in my footballing career that, you know, it's it's how you treat people and how you how you deal with people that you know can it can take you quite far. One of the things I love about young players coming through, I know you're the same with your under twenty role when you were in there at Hearts, is when you get a young player that makes an impression, and you certainly did make an impression. You go on a pre-season tour, you're in Scandinavia, you think, ah, he's a young player, he'll take a tap in to start off. Not you. You start off with a lobbed goal, which which is very well remembered. Yeah, I wouldn't. Um, I wouldn't say that was one of my my usuals. I think I think when I was young, like I think I kind of probably changed my style as I got older. Um, you know, and I probably partly down to injuries, partly down to uh, player and team needs. You know, um, but yeah, when I went across, like as a as a kid and as a youngster, I, I scored all sorts of goals, and um, I kind of took that into my first um, spell at Stockport, I suppose, where, you know, the, the initial um, initial 
debuts and initial baptisms of fire, you're chucked in and and you just you just do what you've been used to doing. And um, yeah, I don't I don't think I had any fear, as I said. Um, so yeah, I, I remember that trip actually quite well. You know, just going across and and being chucked in and and, and scoring that goal. And again, it, it leaves a memory. Um, you know, that's one thing I, I I try and say to people all the time. If you if you do get opportunities to train with force teams or to play in force team, try and leave a memory. You know, try and try and give the manager something to think about. You know, so and that's I certainly uh, I certainly did that in that game. You certainly make an impression, and you go on to be one of the youngest players to get to make their debut for Stockport in their history at the time. You make your debut against Walsall. I mean, what do you feel like when you you get to make your debut at a young age? Um, again, you probably don't realise the significance of it. Um, you know, you just it's just another game. I think, you know, it was probably a number of years afterwards I actually looked back and I probably thought, was I ready? And, I, and if I'm being honest, I'd probably say no. You know, I don't think I was ready to, to play. But the manager obviously felt, you know, for whatever reason, he chucked myself in. I think he chucked Rob Clare. Wouldn't have been far behind me. Keith Briggs wouldn't have been far behind me into the first team. So the manager... You know, for he wanted to play younger players. He wanted to bring younger ones through. And um, I was doing well at reserve and, and youth team level that I, I got an opportunity. And again, I'm very grateful for that. But, you know, physically, was I ready? Probably not. Um, I probably, when I look back now, I, I probably wasn't that ready. But uh, you don't think like that as a kid. You just you just play the game and, you know, you just go out and play. It's as if you're going out and playing with your mates on a, on the field, as I said, when you're playing Battle of the Estates, you know, you just go out and do it and you don't think about it. And, um, yeah, so it, it was probably years after that I actually, you know, sank in. I was like, Jesus, I made my debut at 16 there. Like, and you don't, as I said, you don't, you don't, it doesn't register, I suppose. In terms of yourself, you, you make your debut very young, you're keen, you're enthusiastic, you wait a wee while, but your first senior goal comes against Bolton Wanderers. I mean, just describe the feeling of scoring and senior football for the first time. Yeah, it was, it was amazing. And again, it was, it was a penalty. I just, I think, I'm not sure, even sure if I got fouled or who got fouled, but I just remember grabbing the ball and I was like, I'm taking this penalty, you know, and I, I think we might have been getting beat 3 now. I think it was the FA Cup as well. Might have been three or four nil on at the time, so there was no real pressure on it. I just wanted to score a goal, um, and to be fair to the, I think Tony Dinning would have been the penalty taker back then. To be fair to him, he just was like bash on on your goal. You know, it's it was a consolation goal, and but it meant the world to me, and it was great to get off the mark. And um, so yeah, it was it was it was fantastic against against the club. You know, um, Bolton at the time were obviously. Flying high, and they were a big, big club then. So it would have been, uh, it obviously meant quite a bit. It, it means a lot to score your first goal, and then within a year or so, you're regarded as one of the top young strikers coming through. There's a tension on you, but I want to talk about one of the managers you had, had in Carlton Palmer. What was he like? A very fierce individual as a player. I'm interested to know what he was like as a manager because when you listen to him speak, he just comes across as a fierce, fierce man. Carlton was really was really good. He, he believed in giving the younger younger ones a chance. Um, he obviously had his ideas. Again, you're you know I, you see things differently as a player than you do as a coach. Um, you know, I think he was. For me, Carlton Carlton was good. I enjoyed working under him. Um, but you know, I don't think you know when at the time he probably hadn't got the right blend I suppose of player he probably had too many young players maybe um, you know and, and 
probably I think sometimes when you you know you have young players and they're not playing in a successful team or a winning team, it's hard because uh, they've not had that experience before, um, and they, they sometimes don't know how to get themselves out of that rut. Um, so I'd imagine if Carlton was looking back, he probably would have maybe probably had you know one or two older heads in there to to help us and guide us and. You know, sometimes when you're winning a game one nil or two nil, and you're still going for the next goal, like you, you don't, you probably don't manage games as well as you probably do when you get experience and you get that little bit older. Um, so yeah, I think we had a very young squad, a very young team, um, that I think probably didn't help Carlton um, in the long run. One of the things I'm desperate to ask you about Carlton, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm sure there was a story where he didn't name a sub-goalkeeper and he made it clear to you that if there needed to be a change, you'd be mm-hmm. going in goal. Yeah, that was at Swansea, I think, if I remember correctly. That was, uh, I, I had played, um, I never told him this actually, but I, I said I had played in goal before, but I, I had played 45 minutes in goal um, when I was at Cherry Orchard. And we were getting beat 2 0 at half time, and I came out and scored two, and we drew 2 2. So I was involved in all four goals. Um, so, um, but I never told him about the goals. I can see how rubbish I was in goal. I just said, Yeah, yeah, I've played in goal before. So he said, Right, well, you're my sub goalie. Um, so thankfully, I didn't have to go in, otherwise, it would have been carnage. In terms of yourself as a young player, you, you had a couple of loan spells. One of them I need to talk to you about is Grimsby because. You get the highs and lows of a footballer. You score in your debut against Chester, but in your final appearance, you're sent off against Scunthorpe. So you experience the ups and the downs of football. Just describe what that was like, especially being quite young. Yeah, obviously scoring. um, I think it was a a decent goal as well. I think I might have called the month for that one. Um, It was like a lob finish as well. Um, But yeah, no, it was loan experiences. I think they're great for young players. I think you can take so much from them. Um, Grimsby was... Again, it was on the other side of the country from Manchester. Um, you know, and it was it was totally different to what I was used to. Um, yeah, so it, it was a great experience for me. And as you said, go we'll go in and score. I think I've only played two or three games and yeah. again sent sent off in the last one. I actually to this day I'm still raging with that, if I'm being honest. Because <laughs> I did nothing. I honestly did nothing wrong. Um our player, um, something had happened and there was a there was a melee and I've gone in and you know I think Ian Barraclough, who was the Motherwell manager, is now with Northern Ireland 21s. He'll probably tell me, tell this, he'll probably say that I'm not telling the truth, but it's, this is a fact that I did not touch him. He he was grabbing um, one of our players on the ground and pulling at him. So I've gone over and I've like pointed at him to get, out, get away from him. I pointed at him and as I've done that, he's jumped on the ground holding his face. The referee has turned around and seen me like that and him holding his face and he's just brandished a red card and off I go. So, to this day, I, I genuinely am raging with that. And next time I see Ian, I'll be telling him <laughs> that I'm not happy with him. <laughs> as well as Grimsby, you have a loan spell at Bury Football Club. We're all aware of their story, the fact that the club yeah. were, in, were in deep trouble. They're expelled from the EFL. Very sad situation. You two kind of spells with them. What was it like playing at Gig Lane? And what was it like as a club? Because it's a club that is so sadly missed by so many people in that part of the world. Yeah. Yeah, again, it was it, that was obviously a bit more local than going to Grimsby. Um, I enjoyed my time there. I met a lot of good people there. I had, you know, we actually had a, a decent team. You know, Glenn Whelan was there at the time. He was a youngster, and you had Casper uh, Smichael was there as well. 
um, on loan. So yeah, it, it was a great experience, and it was a proper old fo- old school football club. You know, you would, you know, you had your your gym set up in the corridor, and you know, they had tennis just right next to it, and it was it was a good feel to it. You know, um, I really enjoyed my my times there. Um, you know, obviously, again, when when someone brings you on loan, you feel wanted, you feel part of it, and um, you know, I was very grateful to Barry for for that opportunity. And obviously, as you said, there, it's it's very sad to, you know, to to see now what's happened there. After the spell at Stockport, breaking in there, a couple of loan spells, you get a move to Hartlepool. What was that like? What attracted you to go there? And the question I've got to ask you: Did you ever have any chats with Jeff Sterling? Uh, yes, so I've, I've seen Jeff a few times at the kind of player of the year deals, etc. Um, yeah, it, look, again, I think at Stockport, I, I'd, I'm trying to think now, it was under Sammy McElroy was the manager at the time of, of Stockport. And I'd been there maybe six or seven years and I just felt I needed the change and I felt like I needed some, a new challenge. and. I spoke to Sammy about it, and 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 to be fair, he was great. Um, you know, him and Mark Lillis, the assistant manager, were great. They very open and very honest about it all. And he just said, "Look, if you find something, we won't stand in your way. If that's how you feel." And um, you know, so I kind of put it out there that I wanted to move. Um, I had a couple of options. I could have went to Rochdale or I could have went to Hartlepool. You know, two. Um, you know, Rochdale was probably a bit more local in the Greater Manchester area. Wouldn't have had to move house, but. I just felt I wanted, as I said, I wanted a new challenge, new change. Um, Being from Ireland, I didn't have any family that tied me to that location. So I thought I'd go to Hartlepool. And I think one of the big big pulls to Hartlepool was, um, you know, when I spoke to them, I spoke to Neil Cooper at the time. Um, He was the manager. And, you know, he just sold the club to me. You know, in what way he seen me playing, the vision he had for me being part of the team. Um, and I think they were they were quite successful at the time as well. So I wanted to go somewhere again where you feel wanted, where you know the manager has clearly taken an interest in you as a player. Um, yeah, so it just it just felt like a good a good connection. Um, and as you said, Jeff, um, obviously he's so passionate about the club. And you know when you when you would watch Soccer Saturday if Hartlepool scored, you, you might not know who they are, but you know Jeff supports them the way he goes on. So. Um, yeah, so yeah, it was it was it was a good experience. I wasn't there um, too long, um, but yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed my time there, and obviously capped off with the, the playoff final goal. It, it took me again when you, as a striker when you go to these clubs, you, you try and score as early as you can. I think that was one of the reasons why when I was a kid I, I stopped for it. I wanted to take that penalty because I wanted to score at all. Now at Hartlepool, it took me a while to score. Like I signed. In the January, and I don't think I scored for the last game of the season, which was against um, Bournemouth down away at Bournemouth. We we got a point and we managed to get in the playoffs. So, you know, if you're not contributing with goals, you can sometimes you know think, shit, have I made the right decision here, or do I feel part of the squad? And and you can start to doubt yourself. And um, I think that goal at Bournemouth, you know, took a, a massive weight off my shoulders. Um, and then I scored in the playoff final against Sheffield Wednesday. I came off the bench and, and put us two one up, and um, only to get beaten four two in extra time. So yeah, it was a great experience. 
In terms of Hartlepool, before we come on to the Dundee United move, you mentioned you're not there for a, a, an incredibly long spell, but you were there for long enough to make an impact. You scored seven goals in a week yeah. at the club, and mm-hmm. you also scored your first professional hat-trick against Wrexham. I mean, mm-hmm. just what was that like? See, when you're a striker and you're in what you could only describe as, as a sort of purple patch, is that when you go onto the pitch every single game thinking, if I get a chance today, I know I'm going to score? Yeah, I think it's funny because, again, you go back to the, the mental side of it, you know, that summer, you know, we had to, uh, obviously, you got beaten in the playoff final, so you go away, your, your break is shorter, you come back, um, you know, I came back and I had, like, my number had been changed, so I'd gone from 16 to 25, so straight away I'm thinking, what's going on? So you're kind of thinking, I'm not wanted here, so, you know, it was funny because I remember having the chat with the manager. I think Danny Wilson had come into the time and um, Chris Turner was the director of football. I'd been brought in as director of football. And I, I just, I remember Danny saying, oh no, I like you. I like you as a player and, you know, you've done well for me. But I just never felt, you know, when your number goes from 16 to 25, you kind of think, right, the alarm bells are going here. I'm, I'm not wanted. Um, but, I think in them kinds of situations, I rise to the challenge. I like I like being written off. I like I like when people you know tell me I can't do something because you know I, I had the, a similar situation at Dundee United. We just speak about later, but yeah, I I hardly pulled. I just felt like right, okay, I'm gonna just bide my time. The club then tried to you know offer me a payoff, and I I didn't want to go. I just moved up. I just bought a house with my wife, so we we were quite. Um, happy to see see what happened, what, what sort of what came up. I didn't want to be, you know, pushed out to a club that I didn't want to go to or that maybe ultimately didn't one hundred percent want me at the club. So I just bided my time and I wait the transfer window passed, um, and then with football, you know, opportunity comes and a couple of injuries to the to the front line. I got chucked in, um, and yeah, as you said, I, I just took my chance again, um, and then I think. You know, them seven goals. I, I think what I do remember of that is that the game before the hat trick, or game before the when I scored, I think I saw the hat trick two and two, and whichever game was first. But the game prior to that, I remember I, I knackered my little finger and like it was it was bent like like that. So I had to get a splint on it. So I wore that splint for that week and I scored seven goals. And I was like, oh my God, I'm going to wear a splint every week. So, <laughs> So I, I used to tape my fingers for for ages afterwards. I used to tape my fingers together, just thinking it was luck. Huh? But um, but yeah, I I managed to score seven goals in a week. It, it was it was phenomenal. It was it was like you said. You're just going into games and you're not you're thinking if I get a chance, I feel like I'm going to score. And um, and you, you can sometimes get that as a striker when you when you come up against a certain opposition as well. Um, I think when I came to Scotland, I always when I played Motherwell, I always thought I'm going to score. I don't know why it was, but I just felt I'm going to score today. Um, so you, you kind of just get that against certain teams and then probably on the flip side of that you get it against when you can't score against a team you're thinking shit I'm playing them today I'm not scoring today and you can you know have that reverse effect on you I suppose You get the interest from Dundee United you join the club in the sort of mid-season window be honest you make your debut against Rangers the club gets beaten 5-0 do you think to yourself what have I let myself in for here? Um, it's funny because as I, as I go back to Hartlepool, you know, six months prior to that, they're wanting to pay me up and now they're actually getting a fee for me. So it was quite funny. It was like, you know, um, it was, it was incredible. I remember 
an agent getting in touch with me saying that Dundee United were interested. Um, and and if I'm if I'm br- brutally honest, I didn't know who they were. Um, I spoke to Gavin Strachan at Hartlepool, um, who obviously Gordon's son. Uh, he'd he'd had a spell in Scotland, and I spoke to him, and I said, "Oh, I said, Gav, uh, I've had interest from Dundee United. What do you think?" And he he just said, "Look, he says if if Dundee United are in for you, they're a massive football club. Jump at the chance." Eh? And I, so I, I just thought, right, I'm happy with that. Um, and then Noel Hunt was at the club at the time. Yep. Hunty actually, I remember I was sitting on the, we just got a cat, I was sitting on the living room floor uh, messing with the new cat and the phone rings and old Hunt, who I'd been involved, i played with prior to that in the under-21s in Ireland and he, he just said, look, he said, I believe uh, we're in for you and I was like, yeah, yeah, I've just kind of got wind of that and he said, he said, you need to call me, he said, the new manager, he said, the club, the chairman, he said, the fans, he said, everything about the club, he says, I, I guarantee you love it. Now that's, just shows the mark of Hunty as a boy because you know I'm coming in as a striker, he's a striker. We're both fighting for the same positions, and but he's still telling me to come, you know. So uh, he's he's someone that then I've I've obviously gone on to have you know a huge friendship friendship with. And um, at the time when we were at Dundee United, we actually bought the houses next to each other, so we were neighbours for a, a number of years as well. Um, but yeah, so it, it was great. It was a great move for me. Um, fantastic club. And as I said, look, I, I didn't, I'm, I'm being honest, I didn't know an awful lot about, you know, Scottish football outside of Celtic and Rangers. Um, and as you said, the, you know, the debut was, was at Ibrox, 5-0. I remember the game like it was yesterday. I think it was Walter Smith's first game back in charge and they just tore us to shreds. Um, you know, um, yeah, I just remember coming in, you're saying about who have I signed for here, was I thinking, I wasn't thinking that, but it was, in terms of the manager, I was thinking, who have I signed for? Because at half time he came in and he nearly ripped through the team. And I was just sat there <laughs> looking, thinking, oh my God, what have I got myself in for here? <laughs> so, so yeah. So in terms of that, I was thinking, what have I done? But in terms of the football club, not a chance now. It was a fantastic club. Um, and at that time, my career was probably the biggest club I'd played for. What, something that interests me, we talked about the fact that the Rangers debut, Rangers are very good in that game. To get your first goal against Celtic must have been memorable, but also people forget this. The goal chopped off for offside as well. Yeah, I actually forgot that as well, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, again, a bit like Hartlepool, it took me a while to score. You know, I remember, I actually remember one of my first training sessions. Um, you know, we, we, we used to do, the day before the game, we used to go to Tanadice and we used to do 11 v 11. Um, the manager would, would, would go up in the stand and he would oversee and, and, and he'd watch um, and he, he would bark on the orders on what he expected and, and, you know, trying to give you an idea of what you would come up against the next day. And I remember one of my four sessions um, at, at Tanadice, 11 v 11, and I scored a hat-trick in five minutes. And I was thinking, and I could imagine the players are thinking, who have we signed here? Like, but they were the first three, the only three goals I scored for about five months. So, you know, it took me a while to score. Um, it took me time to score and it took me time to probably to settle. Um, you know, I'm very grateful for the manager and, and my teammates and the fans for sticking by me during that spell because it would have been very, very easy just to go, we've signed the dud here. Um, you know, but, you know, credit to them. They stuck by me and they stuck with me and, um, and I scored my first goal at Celtic, which you know I didn't score many like it. It was like a side side volley from the edge of the box, which um, 
you know, it was it was a fantastic one for me to get off the mark with. And, you know, unfortunately, I, I think it was maybe two games later, I ended up doing my, my knee, you know, and it was it was frustrating. I was, going to, I was just about to come to the fact that you get your goal against Celtic, you're, you're starting to get up to speed and getting used to playing with your teammates. Craig Levine at the time says, John Daly is a tireless, tireless player up front and a lot of people don't see the work that he does for the team. So you've got the manager on side, your confidence is building, you're scoring a few goals, mm-hmm. then you do your cruciate. It's just how tough was that physically and mentally? Because you've came up, you've started to have an impact, the manager's got you on side, and then that's the last thing you need. Yeah, but it's part of football, isn't it? It's, it's part of the game. It's, you know... One thing I learned very, very quickly is that, you know, if you're going to come back from these situations, you need to do the groundwork. You need to do, you know, you need to lay, lay the foundations. And, you know, I, I, it can be very, very easy to feel sorry for yourself. You know, and I had probably got a week where I, thought, I kind of thought, why me? You know, I've just scored a goal. I've just started, you know, make an impact, as you just said. And you can you can sometimes have that mindset of, oh, this is rubbish. Like, why is it happening to me? But, you know, I very, very quickly got my headspace out of that place and, and focused. And I thought, right, well, you know, I'm going to use this time um, productively. I'm going, to, I'm going to come back stronger. I'm going to come back better. So I'm going to work on my physique. I'm going to look at the game. So sitting in the stand, when you're watching games, you're, you're watching your position. Um, and you're watching, thinking, you know, ball's coming up to the striker. I would have maybe just tried to flick that on there. Look at the time I would have had. So it, it kind of opens your mind to your position. And you, I think I think I learned a lot from the times I was out injured at Dundee United. And I think I think every time I came back, um, I always felt I came back a better player um, and a stronger player. You mentioned coming back bigger, better, stronger. You come back 2008, so the 07-08 season, restricted to just under 10 games in the league because yeah. of injury. The following season, you're back playing more regularly. Craig Levine gets interest from Scotland um, as well, in and around that sort of time. What was that like for you in the dressing room? Yeah, it's it's quite funny. It's quite funny because I go back to, you know, the diversity and, you know, uh, adversity and, you know, at the time, I, I had my agent had phoned me and said, "Oh, the managers told me to, you know, find you a new club." You know, I, I'd obviously done my cruciate. I'd been out for more or less the season, and as you said, I didn't play many games to follow, so I didn't really have an impact the season before. Um, so you know, the manager had signed a couple of players, a couple of strikers, and I was probably down the pecking order. Um, but I remember looking at the team, at the players, and and it's. They were good players, you know. You had uh, Warren Feeney, uh, Roy O'Donovan, who probably didn't have an Im- as much an impact as he probably could have had in Scotland. You know, they're good players, but they were different to what I was and different type of player to what I was. So I, I just backed myself again. I backed myself and I thought, I'm going to bide my time. I'm going to wait. I'm going to, you know, it's just very similar to what I've already experienced. I've been in this situation before that. There will come a game when I'll get an opportunity and it's it's on me to make the most of it. And that game for me was Cowden beat away in the cup. Um, you know, we played them in I can't remember which cup, it might be in the League Cup. Um and, and I scored a hat trick. Um, you know, which which was great. It was my first hat trick for Dundee United. Um and I kind of just kicked on from there. And as you said, then you know, our success then helped the manager. Um 
you know, get that opportunity with Scotland. And it, it was it was strange. It was, you know, because it obviously it puts everyone in a position where, you know, what's going to happen? You know, what, you know, the manager's leaving, he's gone to Scotland, what's going to happen? And and the best thing the club probably could have done, you know, we were we were doing well at the time, was to just keep keep the ball rolling, keep, you know, keep the continuity there. And, and Eusty uh, stepped in and, you know, he probably, I think, I remember him telling us a story, one of his first games was at Ibrox, and I think we got beat 7-1. Um, and he he thought after that game, this isn't for me. But I think Eusty was, was really good in terms of like, you know, he, he kept everyone in the loop um, with the situation um, and, he, and he kept us all part of it, you know, part of the process. And, you know, and we all wanted to do well for Eusty. As, as I said, he was assistant manager. We really liked him. Um, and I think we probably felt that if a new manager was coming in, that might mean that he's going to go or the staff are going to go or it's going to be changed. So, you know, the, the players kind of alongside usually we, we dug in and we, and we tried to get results. And, you know, obviously we went on then to win the Scottish Cup that year and qualify for Europe. So we had a fantastic season um, and, and we're obviously we were delighted for Usti and, and the staff to, you know, to get the jobs and, and, and stay on board as well. One of the players I want to ask you about, I know he left um, during your time at Dundee United, but Barry Robson, just how good a footballer was he? Because for me, he's someone who I think is underrated by a lot of people in Scottish football in the sense that he's, that era of Scottish football, I feel like he's somebody that can be forgotten about quite easily, but he was a driving force for the club. Yeah, that's that's the word you would use. He's, he was a driving force. He was a winner. Um, you know, he, he knew what he wanted. Um, and he had that determination and, and, you know, physically he was strong. He had an absolute wand of a left peg, you know, delivery, set plays, crosses, um, you know, second to none. And, you know, no surprise that he went on to, to Celtic and Middlesbrough and, and, and you know, done, done really well for himself. Um, but, yeah, he was, he was probably another player who probably, you know, just gets overlooked, I suppose. But... It, it, for me, he was one of the best players we had at the time, if not the best. You know, him and him and Big Lee Wilkie, I thought, you know, were were exceptional. Um, you know, he's another one, Lee Wilkie, who, you know, with the injuries he's had, probably just, you know, gets overlooked. But I, I thought, for me, he's one of the best players I've played with. Um, you know, just different class, big six foot five, six foot six, and one of the best footballers ever. Like just the way he can come out with the ball. But going back to Barry, yeah, Barry was was so determined. Um, such a driving force. So, you know, he had the put demands on the players. Um, we had a, we had quite a young squad at the time. Um, you know, and, and he wouldn't let you away with anything, and he would make sure that you've done things right. And you know, he probably ran the dressing room for the manager, I suppose. Something else that's obviously very key to talk about and very important to talk about is the Scottish Cup run and the 2010, the the Scottish Cup win, the final, the the atmosphere, everything about it. Obviously, a lot of people will focus in the final three now, very comfortable in the sense that what a game that you had as a team. But a lot of people forget that you had to play Rangers away in the quarter final. You draw mm-hmm. three each, and then you get them back at home in the quarter replay, and you put them out. Just, just describe the run to the final because it was Thistle, St Johnston, the Rangers games, as I say, that were really yep. quite tasty, and then Wraith in the semis. 
yeah, I think, yeah, you, you, you look at the... Partick Thistle was a really tough game. Eh? A really tough game. Partick away was a tough game. We obviously had the goal from Castelnovo where he, he's handball. Um, and then, then David Goodwillie scored a, a great goal. Um, St. Johnson, to be honest, I don't remember too much about that one. Um, but we obviously won the game, which I'm quite happy with. Um, but Rangers was, was a, an interesting one because... You know, you, you do people do forget and people do think, ah, well, you you beat Ross County Championship team in the in the final and you beat uh, Ray Rovers Championship team in the semi final. But we went to Ibrox, who you know going to Rangers and you know three one down at Ibrox, the place was bouncing. Like I mean, the atmosphere I've never heard anything like it. It was absolutely electric. Um, and then we scored two two goals late on to, to draw three three and. and you know, take them back to our place. And I, I would imagine everyone probably thought, oh, it's it's a formality. Rangers are going to go on and win the game um, at Thanedice and, and it's going to be, it's going to be, there's only going to be one winner. But, you know, we actually played unbelievably well that night. And I remember the second half, you know, we were going up the hill, which was unusual for us. We used to always like to go down the hill second half and we're going up the hill. And I, I just remember, you know, Alan McGregor making an absolute wonder save from a header from me down to the, to his bottom left, and and me thinking, oh, that what it was about. It would have been probably twenty five seconds before Davy Robertson scored the goal, and I actually thought, oh, you're kidding me! Like what a chance! Like eighty ninth minute, you know that would have put us through. And then the ball recycles, comes back in. Davy Robertson, if you have, I don't know if you've seen the goal recently, but nice and brave, uh, turns his back and the ball goes in off his arse. <laughs> um, you know, so I think um, he he claims he was he meant it, but um, but I don't really we don't, didn't really care, you know. And, and we we managed to go through, um, you know. And and I always believe that you know if you are going to win win a cup, you, you, I think you need to beat one of the big teams along the way. And but it, it looked uh, it looked like we were going to have to beat the two of them. You know, it looked like we were going to have to beat uh, Rangers and Celtic. Um, but obviously, then when we were we were playing, we were preparing for our game um, on the Sunday against uh, Wraith. And I remember, you know, training, coming in from training, the game is on the telly. Um, you know, we're kind of watching a bit before we get on the bus to go up to the hotel. And Ross County, Ross County scored, and we were like all looking at each other as thinking like, ah, Celtic will come back. And then obviously the game finished, and Ross County were through, and. It was it was a bit surreal because we were all kind of sit, sitting there thinking, like, we've gone from probably second favourites in the Cup to now clear favourites to win the Cup before we've even played our semi-final. So it was, it was, a, it was a different type of pressure, you know. So um, we then went and played Wraith and, you know, they gave us a, a tough game. Um, but we had that, that focus, I suppose, that, you know, if we don't perform or if we don't, fully concentrate on this game there could be an upset like yesterday and, and we can't have that you know so you know I think us playing second helped us in that semi-final um, because we knew the road and the route that we would have to go and try and win it like you know it, I think if you, were, if you were going into that game with Celtic to face you're probably not thinking about the. we were actually probably focusing on right if we can get past this we've got a fantastic chance of winning this cup you know, again, no disrespect to Raid, no disrespect to Ross County, two really good championship teams at the time. But, you know, we were a, a, a premiership side that were challenging for Europe every year. And we knew that 
if we performed to our capabilities, they were two games that we should win. Um, and, you know, thankfully, that's, you know, how it panned out. And um, as you said, the atmosphere um, that day at the final was was something that will never leave me. Um, you know, even the, the celebrations the day after, um, you know, in Dundee, um, the, the night of the, the, the final, just something that, you know, will live with me in my memory forever and something that, you know, I'm obviously very proud to be part of. Um, and was we were very, very lucky because I think as well, Danny Granger at the time was getting married the following week. So he had a stag do in Ibiza the following week. So we could carry that celebration right on for a full week in Ibiza as well. So it was it was fantastic. Um, so, yeah, no, it's something that, as I said, it's 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 there's not many... Um, many opportunities to win cups and, and win trophies in your career you know I think as a kid you probably you know you get medals you get trophies and you probably just take them for granted but when you go into the professional game you know unless you're at a Celtic a Rangers a Man United a Liverpool like you don't get many opportunities to win trophies and you know obviously delighted to be part of a squad that have won a trophy at, at such a fantastic club You mentioned the fact that you won a trophy fantastic club the the celebrations, the open-top bus. Just what was it like celebrating that success and getting your hands on the Scottish Cup? Because it is one of the major trophies in Scottish football that, that so many players, big names, have came to Scottish football and they, they've never won it. Yeah, again, it, it's probably a bit like, you know, it doesn't sink in at the time, I don't think. You know, you, you, it can, and it passes your voice so, so quickly. I remember... I remember being a kid coming into Stockport and, and the senior players saying to me, oh, like, enjoy it. Like, it goes by really quickly and you're kind of looking at them thinking, a ah, good one, like, yeah. But it's true. Uh, and even even them moments, it's hard to it's hard to really, you know, take it in at the time. Um, you know, and I look back as well and I had this stupid hat on in the celebrations and I'm like, what am I doing? Like, I wish I could go back and do that again. I wouldn't wear that stupid hat. But... <laughs> But you don't think, ah, you don't think, you just you just celebrate and you're just so overcome with joy that you, you just you just probably do things out of norm and it was it was fantastic and um we had as I said we had such a good group of players and, and we were all so close and we had a great team spirit that like we we celebrated properly and um you know and the club were great, you know, they put on a do for all the the players and their, their families and um, so we all it was kind of like we went back to that we went back to the stadium then we went on to like a, a celebratory um, party I suppose and then obviously on to the next day at the Care Hall not the Care Hall um, in Dundee overlooking the, the town centre it was it was great you know the open top bus as I said it's not not something I had experienced before so it was great um, but yeah something that I probably at the time it didn't really register, and and it's as I look back now, you know, it fills me with pride, I suppose. Before we come to playing in Europe with Dundee United and and those games, I want to focus on the games at Tannadice against the likes of Celtic Rangers, Aberdeen, Hearts, Hibs. What's it like playing there in a big game at Tannadice? Because you see it, you see it now, even when they've been in the Championship, when they play against Dundee, the stadium is rocking, and when they're on mm -hmm. top of you, it's a formidable place to go. It is, and, and as I said, I mentioned the fans already. The fans are are different class to get behind the team, and you know, especially when you're going down that hill, it's like they're, they're trying to suck the ball into the goal. It's it's you know, and I think 
it, it, it was we 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 tried to create the atmosphere of a you know and the mentality of a, a fortress, as you just said, you know, like that. When when we're playing at home, we want to make it as difficult as possible for teams to come and get get points off us. And you know, I think you know playing against you know like Aberdeen's, Dundee's. Uh, Celtic Rangers, Hearts used to bring fantastic support through. Hibs were the same, um, so yeah, there was there was quite a lot of games where the stadium was ram packed, and you know, you probably try not to to focus on that as a player. Like you're you're aware of it, um, but I think you're trying to obviously focus on the game itself and 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 what you're tasked with doing, and and maybe the game plan that you, your manager has put in place, and. Um, and how you can affect it, and how you can try and win the game. And I think, you know, obviously you can. You're aware of what's going on around you, and you hear it all. And and as I said, the fans when when they were in full voice, it was it was electric, and it was it was a fantastic stadium to play at. In terms of playing in Europe, that's something that you were you got to do during your time at Dundee United a fair few times. What were those occasions like? And is that one of your prou- the proudest moments of your career getting to to play in European football? Yeah, I think when you look back at it, yeah, like playing European, I know they were the qualifiers, etc. But we actually came really, really close. You know, the the year that uh, AEK Athens knocked us out. Um, you know, um, we we got beat one nil at home, and then we went out there, and we were getting beat one nil. And I remember coming off the bench and scoring to go two one to go to put it two one and and put us in a position that if we scored the next goal, we would go through and away goals and. Um, you know, we had an opportunity probably about two minutes, three minutes to go where the ball dropped to Danny Swanson on the edge of the box. And you're kind of thinking, if we want the ball dropping to any player on the edge of the box, it's Danny Swanson. And he just put it past the post. And, you know, you were maybe five, six inches away from actually qualifying for the group stage, which would have been remarkable. Um, you know, we were actually that close. So, so yeah, it, it was it was great. It was a fantastic experience, you know, playing against uh, Dynamo Moscow at home, drawing 2-2. And then, you know, going out to, to Moscow and, and to be fair, they absolutely destroyed us 5-0. They had boys that they'd paid maybe 20, 25 million for. So, like, the levels, you know, were, were totally different. But on them nights, you know, at home, it, it, was, it was hard to imagine that the, the atmosphere could be increased and it could go up a notch or two, but it certainly did. And, you know, obviously the club has such a history with European nights and, you know, doing well in Europe and, the fans have probably been starved of that for a number of years. So so they embraced it and they, you know, I'm just disappointed that as a group of players we we couldn't give them more, I suppose. Um, you know, yes, you're 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 proud and you're you're delighted to have had that experience, but you know, it would have been great to give back to the club and, you know, let them probably have more nights like that, I suppose. In terms of your time at Dundee United, you're playing Europe, playing big games against the old firm, beat them as well. You obviously were talking about winning the Scottish Cup, but mm-hmm. something that about you, John, you were always scoring goals. You went through a real spell where you were one of the best strikers in the league. You got nominated for the Player of the Year award. 11-12, you scored 19 goals for Dundee United in the league, which is a phenomenal achievement. See, when you have a season like that, is there interest from elsewhere? And if so, how do you handle that as a player? Um. I, I I didn't I wasn't aware of interest. I, I I think sometimes agents can maybe get in players' heads and but I was kind of, I didn't really have I wasn't really signed to an agent as such. I was kind of 
you know, if if I was wanting to move or I wanted to, to get away from clubs, I would, you know, speak to the club and then I would maybe just reach out to a few people that I knew that had agents, etc. So so I didn't really have an agent as such that would maybe go go and you know, touch it to clubs or go and touch it about. So I wasn't aware of any interest during that season. Um, you know, and a big part of my game, and, and, you know, I don't score goals, you know, where I pick it up when I beat four or five players. I, I require service and, and I require players around me to help me um, as much as I help them. And, you know, a lot of credit has to go to my teammates that year, you know, for the, for the service they gave me, like, like Paul Dixon going on the left and, and putting, uh, you know, great crosses into the box that, you know, that I used to love to attack. Sean Dillon on the other side, Craig Conway, obviously had left at that stage, but he was one that was prior to that. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I always credit my teammates, um, you know, so it was a fantastic season. And, you know, to get nominated for Player of the Year in the league was, a, you know, personally was 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 fantastic. But... You know, again, I don't think that was down to me. That was down to my teammates providing me with the type of service that, you know, I require um, as a striker to score goals. You mentioned the fact that the service that you got, you scored the goals. In your last season, there's links with Fleetwood who obviously were a, an ambitious club. But in the end, ultimately, you're, you're offered the chance to, to join Rangers. But before we talk about Rangers and that interest, one of the things I think I want you to talk about before... I want you to, you to reflect on your Dundee United career over the piece and how proud you were to captain the, the team as well. Yeah, I think, you know, look at that, that spell, like six and a half years at a football club in the, the modern day, uh, modern age, it was fantastic. You know, I think, you know, I signed a similar time to Sean Dillon. Sean Dillon continued on and I think I hadn't, I hadn't got any plans to leave the club, if I'm being honest. You know, I, I think I had... Um, you know, I think I go back to, you know, younger players and, and and when I was a kid and, you know, feeling valued and feeling like you're wanted. Um, and one thing that, like, probably made me make my mind up to leave was the fact that, you know, I'd had that season you spoke about, uh, scoring 19 goals. I think the, the year before I went to Rangers, I maybe scored 16, 17 goals, something like that. Um, but coming into the final year of my contract, I just had you know, the best um, season of my career. I just had, I was the first striker since the 90s, I think, to score over 20 goals in all the competitions with Dundee United. So, you know, I kind of went into the following season, coming into the last year of my contract with the view of extending my contract. Um, and they offered me a year extension. Um, you know, so I kind of, I kind of went back to them and I was like, I would, I would like two years. Like I wanted to stay for two more years at least, you know. Um, but they offered me a year, so I just thought, right, well, if that's how I'm valued or how I'm how they see me now, obviously the club have got reasons for doing that. You know, I'd maybe come. To, I think I was thirty. I coming up to thirty years of age, so they maybe don't offer players over a certain age um, any longer than a year. But I just kind of felt that kind of what I'd done previously, what I'd done warranted maybe, you know a longer term contract um, so I spoke to my wife about it and I spoke to my family about it and we just decided just to you know play the season out see what happens you know take that chance you know if you get injured you get injured and that's 
that's the risk you take. Um, but we kind of just said, right, we'll just focus on playing, playing week in, week out, uh, and see what comes of it. And you know, I had obviously the the interest from Fleetwood. Um, I had played in the lower leagues in England previously. You know, would I have went back down there? Probably, but I. I enjoyed Scotland. I really enjoyed playing in Scotland. I enjoyed the style. I enjoyed everything about it. I enjoyed the fact that, you know, coming up to my edge, I'd had injuries. There wasn't many midweek games. Um, you know, whereas in England, you're playing Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, week after week. And, and it's it's a lot to take on your body. Um, so I liked the fact that I could go on a Saturday and then structure my week to the following Saturday. And, and you know, there wasn't as much stress on your body I suppose so yeah so I, I had planned on staying at Dundee United um, going into that final season however just the contract that I got offered it was nothing to do with finances it was more to do with length of contract um, so yeah so I just I decided that I was going to just see what was out there see what happened um, obviously as you said Fleetwood was, was of interest and then and then I heard um, Rangers were interested so the one thing that always stuck in my mind about Rangers was when we beat them in the cup you know when we stopped them going on to do the treble um, you know, we stayed out on the pitch at Anadise for maybe 15-20 minutes celebrating with the fans and you know you're coming down the tunnel afterwards and you're absolutely you know ecstatic that you've won that game and Ali McCoy's was standing there waiting for every player um, you know to shake their hand and say well done you totally deserved that and wished us all the best I hope he's going to win the cup and I kind of, that took me back a bit because I, I'm thinking, how can he do that? Like, he's just been knocked out of the cup and, you know, they, they've won the League Cup, they're, they're going to win the league. You know, this was probably the one that, you know, if they want to win this, they've done a treble, which, you know, to do that to a treble is, is fantastic. And um, I always just remember it, the humility of him to, to actually stand there, to, to wait for us all to come off after celebrating, to shake our hands, to wish us all the best. And to actually... I got the impression that he genuinely meant it as well. So that all, that stuck with me for the remainder of my career at, at Dundee United. And when I heard that, obviously, he'd got the job at Rangers and that he was interested, I was, I was sold that. And I just thought, I, I would love to play for a, a manager like that. Um, I'd love to, love to play for a person like that. And then, obviously, the club itself, um, massive football club, you know, obviously, in League One, um, I understand that I get that, but you know, you know, fifty thousand people at every home game, you know, does it as a kid and you're growing up and you want to play uh football, you're you want to play in front of big, big crowds and you know, to get that opportunity probably that late in my career was 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 brilliant. And, you know, I'm under no illusions that, you know, I know if Rangers were the force that they were um a few years prior to that would have had the opportunity, possibly not. Um so you know, obviously circumstance um, probably dictated that and, and obviously I was delighted to go and play for a club that size but first and foremost to go and play you know for Ali McCoist which you know as I said was was one of my driving factors behind that. John you know yourself as much as I do the west of Scotland is a unique place it's a place that football's got its unique tribalisms the move as you know meant you'd be the first Catholic player from the Republic of Ireland to play for Rangers Ali McCoist came out very strongly and said, I don't give a monkey's about any player's religion or any player's place of birth. If they're good enough to play for Rangers, I want them. 
and he backed you very, very strongly, mm-hmm. as, as, as did the club, let's be honest. But was there any apprehension at all on your side about that when you came to signing for the club? Um, not really, because like, I'm Catholic because I'm born into the religion. Um, I'm not a practicing Catholic. Um, you know, so religion for me, again, it's it's a big, big issue with, with certain people and, and certain individuals, but it's not with me. I, I'm, I'm not bothered by people's religions or, or where they're from or, you know, so I kind of viewed it how, through my own lens, which, you know, was how I do a lot of things. And, you know, it's funny because obviously it caused issues for certain people that I did go and play there. Um, I actually remember coming home to my house um, after the end of the season at Dundee United. So I'd been at Dundee United. I'd signed for Rangers, went away on holidays with the family, went back to Ireland to see my own family, came back to the house and I walked in carrying all the suitcases and I looked over to the, the sofa and my wife was sat there letter, reading this letter and she's boiling. And I'm like, you all right, love? And she's just shaking her head and she's gone. So I walked over anyway, I was like, give me a look. And it was a letter someone had sent to Dundee United that they had just forwarded on to my home address from uh, a person um, saying how disappointed they were, uh, putting it politely, <laughs> that I'd signed for Rangers um, and that I was this and I was that. And my family were, would, would you know, be disgusted with me and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, you know, the fact of the matter is, my dad was quite ill at the time and he was over the moon that I got the chance to play for a club like Rangers. My family were over the moon that a club like Rangers wanted me to play for them. I was over the moon to go and play for a club like Rangers. And I think certain people in this world, as we all know, can be quite narrow-minded. Um, and I think if you let them affect your decisions and your judgments, then you're not going to make the judgments that you feel are the right ones for you. So, um, so yeah, there was there was a number of people that that probably got in touch, um, whether that's to you know sending letters to Dundee United that got forwarded on, or or sending them to the training ground where you know I had I used to have a great laugh with the boys reading these letters. Um, eventually, I got to the stage where I just I just thought you know I just said to Stevie on the front desk, look, I said any letters that come from me, just open them, um, and then if if they're of that nature, just put them in the bin. I said, I don't need, I don't need negativity in my life. And, um, and unfortunately signing there, you know, that happened and, and it came with it. And, but it doesn't cloud, um, my experience of the club. It doesn't, uh, you know, it doesn't leave me having any negative feeling toward, I had a fantastic couple of seasons there. Obviously again, just disappointed that my, my last year didn't end in success for the club. Um, you know, but, you know, the first season obviously was was a, was a great year for us and um, one that I thoroughly enjoyed. The first season, as you say, in League One was was very successful. You got 20 league goals that year. You're the talisman for the club winning League One. Very successful season. I want to ask you the obvious question. What was Ali McCoy's like to work with? Because we all see him as a, a chirpy character, a jokey character, but a good coach as well. Yeah, like what you see is what you get with Ali. Like he, ha- he has... That's the way he is. I like he, he's he is um, he, he's fun loving. He's you know he's I found him very very good in terms of like you know I thought his man management was was second to none. You know he knew he knew when 
to joke about with just he knew when to get an arm around just um and I think you know the sign of any good culture any good manager is to surround yourself with with people that probably complement you in areas that you don't and you know we had Kenny McDowell there who who for me was was brilliant you know great great coach and probably uh doesn't get the credit that he deserves but I thought Kenny was was excellent um Ian Durant you know obviously he was a teammate of of Ali's and you know his his knowledge and his experiences that he's had over his years and um, as a player and as a coach, again, second to none. So, so I thought the backroom staff in general, I thought they were, they were excellent. And, you know, going and playing for, for people like that, you know, who are humble and who are, you know, you know just dead genuine and, and, and want you to succeed as a person and as, as a player, you know, I think when you, when you meet people like that and, um, and you play for people that you just want to try and do as best as you possibly can for them. And, and Ali, Ali, as you see, you, you know, you see him on, used to see him on Question of Sport, you'd see him on the telly, you'd see, you hear him on Talk Sport, you know, that is Ali, um, you know, and, but he did have a side to him that, you know, he could, he could be serious when he needed to. And, um, and I, I did, I love, I love my time there. And I love playing, playing under him. In terms of yourself, John, you mentioned the fact that, Playing for a club the size of Rangers is something you can't turn down. Just how good did you feel when you get the chance to score at Ibrox in front of a full house? Yeah, it was it was great. Again, it, it seems to be a common trend with me. It takes me a while to score my first goal. So, um, yeah, so it was it was great. It was you know scoring your first goal. I think that game I went scored four in that game. Um, you know, so again, you know, you, you look at it and you think like. The team we have, we should we should be winning games, and we should be, and at Ibrox with that crowd behind you. But you know, teams don't make it easy for you. You know, they make it difficult. Um, and you know, every goal I scored there, I treasured. I took you know, you just because you never know when your your last game is going. I think you start to appreciate that as you get older. You know, you you start to maybe see that you're you're near the end of your career, and and you probably take a bit more. Um, I don't know, you probably reflect a bit more on it all and you probably, you know, you, you appreciate things more. And um, I know definitely, I, I think, you know, I was desperate to, to get off the mark there and, and it, was, it, was, it was a fantastic uh, feeling. I think my family were over from Ireland for that game as well. So it was, it was extra special. Um, and, and, and on that, like, see, see you, you talk about Ali. Um, like I said, my dad was, was in the later stages of cancer. He was, um, he was in a bad way. And... I remember saying to Ali, like, oh, my dad's coming off to the game. And he'd be like, I oh, make sure you bring him down and see me. And I was kind of like, ah, yeah, yeah. like, because you just don't expect it. You're kind of thinking, ah, he's just saying that, yeah, yeah. And, but then I remember the day of the game and, and you know, the game had just finished and he came over, he's all oh, well done, big man. Now make sure you, you bring your family down. So I was like, all right, so you mean, so I ended up got my dad. And I remember just bringing them down and, and they were over the moon to meet Ali McCoyce, you know, to, and, and, and the way he was with them, the way he dealt with, and that's they're the little details that I I think that you know you prob probably get overlooked with Ali, and probably people don't know about Ali that like you know he's just a fantastic human being, um, and I think you know that's again stuff that like will stay with me forever, like you know that you know in the last weeks of my dad's life he he made him feel like the the king of Ibrox, you know, and he, he brought him down and he gave him the, the grand tour and he wheeled him around in his wheelchair, brought him out onto the pitch, and you know. He just talked about that for the last few weeks of his life, and and that's something again that you know that I will never take away. Even you know when my dad sadly did pass away, like Ali, 
I went home for the funeral and Ali, Ali got a flight out that morning, came to the funeral and then flew back without even letting me know that he was there. You know, it was only, it was only afterwards that, you know, people that were in the, you know, the church were saying, oh, Ali McCoy was here. And, and I was like, I, so I actually rang him and I just thanked him for doing it, you know, so, um, so that just shows the mark of the man and, and, you know, what he was like as a person. Um, you know, so again, a, a joy to play for. As you say, I love hearing stories like that, and I love, I love the insight and I love the honesty you've had on your time at Rangers, there, John. And in terms of the second season, it's a tough season for the club. It's it's, it's a disappointing way to end after having the very successful first season. Mm-hmm. Um, why do you think the second season was tougher for the club? Do you think they maybe maybe get rid of Ali just a bit too early? Um, possibly, but I think also as well, like. You know, levels, you know, you're coming up into into a tough championship. Um, you know, Hearts, Hibs, two good sides. Um, you know, obviously Rangers as well. So you've got three teams there that are, are, are good and in their own right, you know, should be fighting for the championship. Um, you know, and on top of that, then you've got other teams then, like other full-time teams, you know, Dunfermline, um, that are making it difficult for you. Um you know, so it was, it was, it was tough, um, and I think, you know, we all know football is is results. Results are, are driven by what happens, um, you know. And unfortunately, we didn't get enough positive results for Ali, and they, and they made a change. And um, you know, there's probably probably a lot more going on at the club than than we as the players knew. Um, so. So yeah, it was disappointing. I um I had uh, an operation at the start of that season. I I started pre-season and I felt really good, and then I ended up um I ended up nicking my cartilage in in pre-season. So I had to get a, a clean-up operation. So I didn't feel that I came back from that um like I had previously from from operations, um and along with the fact that I probably didn't get as much game time with you know you had that um. You had Boydy back, you had Kenny Miller back, so you had more competition for places. Um, you know, so from a personal level, I, I probably didn't hit the heights that I had uh, in previous seasons, um, you know, obviously for whatever reason. And um, and then when obviously Stewart came in, um, you know, I was disappointed because uh, I didn't feel I got an opportunity under Stewart. And, and I was disappointed because I still felt I could help um, and I felt it could have an impact and you know again you know when I look at the strikers at the club it was different to what was there um, you know you had Boydie and, and, and Kenny and uh, Nicky Clark and you know there were different types of strikers to me so I, I felt I offered something slightly different whether that was from coming off the bench or but again for whatever reason you know um, you know Stewart didn't see that and you know, there was there was days where I, I was just told not to come to training, and to be fair, I I I used to just go on my bike. Um, I done some amount of miles on that bike, um, you know, around Perth and and you know around uh, where I lived. So yeah, so it, it was disappointing for me on a personal level, um, that I couldn't help the team, and it was it was disappointing. You know, sat at home watching the playoff final against Motherwell, and and the team just implode. Um. You know, I go back to, you know, as a player in Scotland, 
I used to always score against Motherwell. And, and that game was coming up. I hadn't been involved in the squad and I was thinking, please just involve me because I know I will score against Motherwell. I just, you just have these feelings and you know you're going you know to score. But, you know, sitting at home, you can't score a goal from home. So, um, so it, was, it was really disappointing to see how it ended for, for the team and for, like, obviously I was part of it. Um, I'm not shying away from that. You know, but I just felt I didn't probably contribute um, as much as I probably felt I could have done due to probably, you know, circumstances of not coming back from an injury in the right right way. And and then probably also just, you know, change a manager who probably doesn't fancy fancy you as a player, which again happens in football. Um, but as I said, that's, that's probably my biggest regret with Rangers is that I couldn't help out more in that second season. Very honest and open. Thank you for that, John. And from Rangers, disappointing second season. You signed a short-term deal with Raith Rovers. Mm-hmm. What attracted you to to Raith and working under Ray McKinnon? So it was it was funny because after Rangers, I kind of I, I was kind of then starting to look and think, right, what what's next? Uh? Like, what what am I going to do next? And and I I wanted to go abroad. I wanted to try and. Um, I wanted to try and get, you know, whether it's across to America for, you know, I, I, again, you know, I'm, I'm very realistic and I'm very, um, you know, I understand that probably MLS was probably a level too much. So I was looking maybe at USL and um, the league below and I was looking at other other countries um, to go and experience a different style and a different, a different way, I suppose, that, you know, that could maybe stand me in good stead going into the next stage of my career and going into coaching and going, you know, so I had clear vision of that's what I was doing. I'm going to, I'm going to sit back. I'm going to take a, a, a wee while from, from Rangers and I'm going to try and get myself. So I started to reach out to people um, you know, that, that had connections in them in quarters. You know, I spoke to Andrew Keane, who does, who's part of First Point USA, who I had dealings with with one of the young players at Hearts when I helped him, you know, get a scholarship in America. So I kind of reached out to him to see if he had contacts. I reached out to a few other people. And I got I got um, an agent then get in touch with me about going to South Africa. Now, again, it probably wasn't something that had, you know, it probably wasn't a league that had come into my mind. Um, but kind of what, what was being put in front of me was, was something that you're kind of thinking, I can't really knock this back, you know, because they, they offered me, Two years and the money was was exceptional. Like I was, it would have put me in a position where I probably wouldn't have had to, you know, worry about working for a for a, a number of years. Um, so I went out for a week to South Africa, um, flew out, landed in South Africa after maybe twenty hours of traveling, straight in another plane to play in a tournament. Actually, don't know how I managed to get through it, but I done quite well. Scored a few goals, um, and. And felt quite good. Eh? I felt like I felt I feel I feel good. I like I like the club. I like what they're trying to do. Um, and then come the day before I was due to come back to Scotland, the chief executive pulled me in for a meeting, and he was like, "Oh, look," he said, uh, "You know that contract that's on offer. We can't really afford that." And I was so I kind of just sat back and I was, "Well, what do you mean?" And he's like, "Well, we can maybe." We can maybe offer you maybe 25, 30% of that. Uh, so I'd been out there for a few days. I'd realised that the area, you know, the club was fantastic. The area probably wasn't one that I would bring my family to. 
um, you know, wasn't the safest. Of, you know, we was in a car um, traveling along and, and the boy said, if you're out and about at night time, just be careful. If you're in a car, don't stop at the crossroads. Just keep going, etc. It's not the safest. So, so it wasn't, it wasn't an area that I would have brought my family to. So, you know, I would have been leaving my family behind for two years and, and, and it turned out then that it wasn't, it wasn't worth my while um, doing. So I, I came back to Scotland, explored a few different other avenues um, and then all in the meanwhile, Ray McKinnon um, rang me and got in touch and was just asked me what I was doing. I explained my, my, my thought process and what I was looking to do. Um, and he said to me, look, he said, do you want to, do you want to just play, play till January? Um, and, you know, and then, and then reassess it in January, see what you want to do. See if, see if something, he said, some of these markets will open up again in January and that might be, he says, you come in here, if you do well for us, that might give you the platform to go and, and kick on. Because prior to that, I ranged, I hadn't really played. So I think that had probably, you know, give me, give people, you know, the, the stigma that I was injured all the time. And when I wasn't, and, you know, because um, I know a lot of the time that was coming out in the press that I was injured when I wasn't. And that was one of the bugbears that, you know, I went to see the manager quite often about, you know, that that can keep coming out because it's going to affect me when I move on from the club. Um, so, yeah, so I ended up signing a short term with Wraith. Um, it's quite funny because on the way down to Wraith, I shook hands on the deal with Wraith. Um, and on the way, driving down to the training ground to sign the contract, um, I got a phone call from Hibs. Um, so it was like, two, you know, you're waiting and waiting and waiting for something to happen. And then two people come in at once and Hibs had, well, wanted to, to speak to me about potentially going in there but I was I've already made my mind up I'd already given my word to Ray that I was going to sign for him so I, I knocked that back you know do I regret it probably probably not I don't I don't know it's hard to say but one thing with me is that if, if I give someone my word on what I'm going to do I'll stick to it and, and I don't go back on it and I didn't want to let Ray down because I felt you know I'd I'd committed to Ray on, on a contract and on, a, on an agreement that if I went back on this now, you know, he's probably already said no to a couple of players because he was getting me. So I didn't want, I didn't want to put him in a position where he was short a player either. So I, I stuck to my guns and I went to Wraith and really enjoyed my time there. Ray was a fantastic coach and did everything. You know, he had Laurie Ellis helping him out, who, who again was, was um, you know, a player coach. Probably didn't play as much, but again, young, ambitious, enthusiastic coach that I learned so much from, you know. Um, so, yeah, enjoyed my time there. And then I think it was around the October, uh, coming into November, I think that um, Craig had messaged me just to see what my plans were about potentially taking the doing the 20s role at Hearts. And, again, I had a conversation with Ray about it and said it was something that I'd be interested in doing, but I didn't want to leave him in the lurch. So I went back to Hearts and asked him if I could do that, if I could come in at the end of my contract because I didn't want to leave leave Wraith in a position where they were short a player. So thankfully they were they were quite happy to do that. And um so yeah, so that was that was my experiences with, with Wraith. How do you reflect, John, on your career as a whole? Because we've talked about the fact that you start at Cherry Orchard, you get the move to Stockport, you make an impact there, you play lower league in England, score in a playoff final, come up to Scotland, win the Scottish Cup. Team of the Year nomination, captain a club like Dundee United in a six and a half years spell where you're at the club. You play for Glasgow Rangers, one of the biggest clubs in Scotland. Um, 
albeit they were going through a tough time, but you still win a title there, even though it's not the top division title. Play a big part in it. Um, how do you reflect overall in your career? Are you, is, it, is it something you look back on with immense pride because you've achieved a lot more than than, than most? Yeah, I think when you look back over your career, you know, you, I wouldn't say you have... Like I, I never look back and I think, and I never look back and, and regret my decisions or I regret why you've done things. I always try and analyse it and think, you know, you know, why did I do that or why did I do that? And you know, but I think in the fact, you know, like you said, when you look back over the piece, and I think to have a career in football for eighteen years as a professional football player, you know, fills me with pride, and and it does. I'm very very proud of the fact that, you know, um. You know that I've had that career in the game, and you know, as, as you mentioned, every club I've been at, I've enjoyed or I've, ta- I've taken something from in terms of like you know, I've, you know, I've always tried to build relationships with the clubs I've had, and I've always tried to leave on good terms. Um, yeah, so it, it is. It's I've made a lot, an awful lot of good, you know, friends forever that you know I, I keep in contact with all the time, and yeah, so it, it is. It's. You know, looking back and, you know, starting out again, would I change anything? I don't think I would because, you know, it's led me to where I am. And I always believe that, you know, the decisions you make bring you to the point that you're at. And, you know, you make them decisions for a reason. And, you know, so it's 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 one that I've I've thoroughly enjoyed. And every club, as I said, I've been at, I've, I've enjoyed playing for. So I wouldn't I wouldn't change it anyway. I'd like to finish, John, with around the quick fire questions. First of all, being no, best, no. <laughs> best players you played with. Um, best players I've played with. So I actually done something like this on my social media a while back. Um, and when you actually like when someone hits you with a question like that, it, it's hard to think on the spot. But when I actually sat down and I went through the teams I was with, and then I went through the squad lists, and they're going, "Jeez, I played with him, and I played with him." Like the like Casper Schmeichel, for instance. Like you know, goalkeeper. Like he was only a kid, but different, different class. Like really, really, you know, focused, and you could see he was going to go. And play at a top top level, um, you know. Even in the Ireland setup with the under twenty ones, I was unfortunately never never capped a full international. But twenty ones, I played with like John O'Shea, um, who obviously is one of the the top cap players in Ireland, and you know won numerous medals with Manchester United. Um, you know Ricky Lambert, I played with Ricky Lambert at Stockport um, before he went on down to Southampton, and obviously signed for Liverpool. And he, he was another player that um, probably at the time was unappreciated um, by the fans and, you know, probably people probably thought he was lazy. and But it was just his mannerisms and the way he was. And he probably was, um, you know, people probably didn't understand him. and But he was different class. Like, he was, he had an absolute rocket of a right foot. If he got the ball anywhere near goal or 30 yards from goal, you knew that he could score. Um, you know, so you've got the likes of him. Um, you know, Ashley Williams was at Stockport with me at the time as well. Again, a young kid at the time, but what's gone on to Captain Wales. Um, you know, then you look at Dundee United, you know, Johnny Russell's, Craig Conway's all gone on to have fantastic careers. Gary McCoy Stephen, obviously out now in America. Um ability wise, you know, and how you can manipulate a ball, he was probably the the best that I've I've witnessed. Um you know, he used to crack me up. He just used to try things in training all the time. And, he, he, you know, occasionally he'd fall over the ball. But, you know, one thing about Gary, would he'd get back up and he'd try it again and he'd try it again and again and again and again until he got it right and perfected it. 
you know, and and I think he's a he's a player that you know if I was going to watch again, you would 100% pay to watch him play. Just when the ball gets to his feet, just the the way he manipulates it and the magic that he can he can produce. So so yeah, I've been very very fortunate to play with some some really really talented players and um, and ones that have gone on to have fantastic careers. And others probably that you know probably haven't hit the heights that they they maybe should have. Um, you know, but that's as as I said, that's that's football and it's about opinions and. You know, one manager that doesn't like you doesn't necessarily mean you're a bad player. It just means that, you know, for him or for his style and, you know, you've just got to have that perseverance that you dig in and you, and you have that belief in yourself. Who would you say was your toughest opponent? Toughest opponent? Well, um, good question. Um, that's one thing I have. Like, I suppose when you played Celtic, you played Rangers, you know, you know, um, Bouguera, uh, Van Dijk, Boys like that, that you're probably thinking, I'm not getting it. I, I, one thing I prided myself on in Scotland was that I was I was one one of the strongest strikers around. Um, but when you come up against Van Dyke, you can't pin Van Dyke. You're not quicker than Van Dyke. You can't win aerial duels against Van Dyke. So I might as well be sat on the bench, yeah. Like I'm not I'm not doing anything against Van Dyke. So so the likes of him and as I said, Bouguera. Um, you used to have good tussles with um, and you felt you could get the better of them occasionally but again strong physical good in the air quick um, so yeah there was there was quite a few um, one that probably um, you know probably I ended up as a teammate Darren Dodds Darren Dodds um, was, was fierce huh? like he'd pinch you he'd kick you he'd stand on your feet he'd, he'd kidney punch you he'd Oh, he taught me a lot. Huh? Like he taught me a lot of these things that, and a lot of tricks that that I then started to do to people before they would do them to me. You know, so um, you know, and the way he would just shout at you on the pitch, he'd be in your face screaming at you, and you're looking at him going like, "Dodgy, give me a minute, huh? come on." Huh? So, so Dodgy probably to a, a certain extent was was really really tough. Obviously, like you know, you look at Van Dijk and and where he's gone and and what he's done in the game. You know, like. It's easy to turn around and say him, but I think, you know, from one of the players that I ended up as a teammate, you know, Dodgy, Dodgy was probably was quite tough. Who would you say was the most underrated player you played with in your career? Um, underrated. That's a good question. Um, I think, I think Davy Robertson uh, obviously scored the goal against um, Rangers. He, he, I think, he was probably. You know, underrated. I think he he probably got pigeonholed into, you know, just a running and a running type midfielder who had legs. But he was actually, you know, on the ball. I think his running style at times um, probably didn't help him. You know, when when you're when you're watching, you know, aesthetically he didn't look great on the eye. And probably the fact that he was slower than me as well didn't help him. <laughs> and that's a fact. That is a fact. He he'll he won't take this, but that is a fact. We done uh, we done sprint tests one day um, when we were at Dundee United, and they had the the beams, you know, getting your your tens, your twenties, your thirty yard sprints, and I, I, I remember it like it was yesterday. I, I took off on a run, and he just went flash, as if like taking the piss out of me. And I went, "You taking the piss, you little you no?" Know? So 
I went over to the boy with the computer and the laptop that was, you know, doing the scores and, and I'd done my next run and he went again, he went flash. It's just taking the piss out of how quick I was, you know. And I went over, I looked at the boy and and I got really got my time. He done it and I went over and checked the times and he was like half a second slower. So I just went, I said, Robbo, get over and have a look at them times. I said, You can never, ever, ever slag me again about being slow. I said, You're slower than me. But he was a player that I really enjoyed playing with, one that was, you know, possibly, you know, the fans or, or the managers probably at the time. But as a teammate, you know, I, I really enjoyed playing with. We mentioned Craig Levine earlier. What's the biggest rollicking you've ever seen him give a player, the, the hairdryer moment? Um, there was a couple. The one I spoke about earlier at Rangers where, like, he came in and he went mental at Gary Kenneth um, at half-time. And I, and I was just sitting there thinking, oh, my God, I'm never, ever getting on the wrong side of this fella. Um, but I, I remember, it might, be, it might have actually been Kenzer again. It might have been. But we were in the... When I first went to Dundee United, we used to, we used to go to Tannadice and we used to get changed there and then we'd jump on the minibus or we'd jump on our cars and we'd go to, you know, different training grounds and we'd train kind of around Dundee or wherever was available. So, like, you had Tony Dock and... Uh, Peter Houston used to go and find training grounds and Gary Kirk used to all go off in their different ways in the morning and find where we're suitable to train um, but I remember Kenzer might have been alone to Cowden Beat or something like that and I think he came out in the press after one of the games and he spoke about you know not getting the opportunity at Dundee United and you know he'd done really well at Cowden Beat and um yeah, so I remember we were sat in the changing room and Kenzar got called to the manager's office. Now, the manager's office was down the end of the corridor and just you could hear every word. Like, he was screaming and bollocking. And we were all just looking at each other thinking, again, like, we don't want to mess with this fella. Like, he'll, he'll rip your head off. That's just <laughs> incredible to know, especially because he's, he's such a high-profile manager in football. Um in terms of yourself, I'm interested to know, you were a captain. Who was your most inspirational captain? My most inspirational captain? Um, again, just want to think back through all my captains. I remember my first captain at Stockport when I was obviously a kid, my, uh, Mickey Flynn. Um, he, was, he was probably another one that was, you know, unappreciated. Um, but yeah, he, he was... He was just a, a solid guy and a solid individual um, and he had the players' interests at heart. And I remember, like, you know, coming into that change room as a as a 16-year-old, 17-year-old kid and and him making you feel part of it and feel welcome. And, um, you know, it could have been very easy for them just to look and think, who's this little fella coming in here? But, like, they, they, you know, he was a major driving force in, in, in you know, making you feel part of that group and um you know so so probably that was a good first experience of a captain I suppose. Biggest character you played with? Biggest character? Um Big Lee Wilkie was probably up there. Um you know he, he was a quiet quiet fella at times but then he liked, he had a he had a jokey side to him like he liked to play practical jokes and um you know he, he there was a couple of times where um, myself and Sean Dillon got on the wrong side of him on practical jokes. Like so, um, I remember Streaky had done something to to Sean, and we retaliated. Um, we went to his house, like 
wouldn't say the middle of the night, but it would have been like probably <laughs> half 10, 11 o'clock at night. And his car was parked up against the bushes and we had made a registration plate um, and we, we stuck it to his, on top of his, his original re- registration plate, but it was W4NKER. So, so he drove around like, and we knew that he would never ever notice it because he, where he, the way he parked at his house or his, his apartment, he, he parked against the bushes or against the walls. So, like, he would very rarely see it. When he came to training, he drove into spaces, so he never reversed in that he would actually see his number plate. So he, he drove around for, it must have been a week to 10 days with this number plate on his car. And, and I remember going to, going to the gym with him one day in his car and he's going, what are they looking at? Why do they keep looking at my car? And every time he was driving along, people were looking and pointing at the car and he's like, oh. And he just couldn't get it. And then eventually one day he came in and, he, and you knew he knew. And he never said anything. He just kept it to himself until the last game of the season. Uh, we came in. He was injured at the time. We came in after the game. And, and one of the, the modern trends in football, players come in after the manager speaks, they go to the pocket, they get their phone to check, you know, check all sorts of social medias and uh, other results, etc. Um, so we've done that. We've gone into our pockets. And as we've stuck our hand into all these, like, I felt like millions of crickets jumped out of our pockets all over the changing room it was just the place was just covered with, with crickets he'd gone to the pet shop bought about you know 2,000 crickets put 1,000 in each pocket of mine and Sean's and it just you know it was just mental honestly so <laughs> great guy great guy a great character and um, you know someone who, who I, I see occasionally when I go up you know Dave Bowman um, you know, organises charity games and stuff, you know, against the fans and I've played a few of them and, and Big Streaky again, like he, he's had knee replacements and stuff, but he still, you know, can still play and he can still, you know, still stands out in these games. So it's it's, it's great to see him when I do. A few non-football wins for you, Beach Holiday or City Break? Um, I love Vegas, I have to say. I've been six or seven times. My wife loves it and it's not necessarily down like to the gown. It's just the place in general. So, if you're asking me to pick somewhere in the world to go, it will be there. Um, I do enjoy going away with the, with the kids and the family and, you know, going away to the beach and, and stuff like that. But, you know, we've been very, very lucky that we've managed to get away um, on numerous occasions with close friends, just the couples going away and, and you know, uh, dropping the kids off with the, with the nana and granddads and, you know, just getting time to ourselves. And I think that's important when you have got... Um, you know, kids, I think it's important that you, you spend time together and you manage to get these breaks. And as I said, very lucky and very fortunate to, to, have, to have had that opportunity to do that. And, I, and I've, you know, I haven't been back in a while, but it is somewhere where I would love to go back soon. Um, I've, I've loved, I loved going to Orlando with the kids. We brought them a couple of years ago. Um, and that was a great experience for them. Um, yeah, so family-wise... I would probably say beach, but if we're talking just me and the wife getting away, it would be City, Vegas. Sensational. Um, Favourite food? You can probably tell I like my food. Um, and the boys in the pro licence are always giving me stick uh, about, like, you know, I, I, like, I like my food. Um, you know, when we went out to Italy recently to the European Championships, you know, I... I I took um, I took in the the ice cream parlors and I, I like my ice cream and you know so if you ever speak to any of them they'll they'll no doubt say they'll mention that so I'm getting in there first um, 
But no, I, I, I like, again, I'm very lucky. My wife is actually a really, really good cook. Um, and she's actually, um, you know, she, she's a, she bakes cakes and makes cakes um, from home. So she's, that's her business. So she's, she's very, very good in the kitchen. And she makes a, a very good um, a chicken and chorizo pasta that I really like. And I would probably say if I had to choose a meal, I would probably choose that. Being from Ireland, I'm going to ask you the, the terrible stereotypical question. Favourite beer? Is it a Guinness? Uh, surprisingly, it's not. Um, I've not had, I wouldn't say I've actually probably sat down and probably had a Guinness. Uh, my my memories of Guinness are, you know, getting the dregs out of the glass when, when I was a kid. And, you know, my dad had put his glass down and he'd be about to refill and he'd go over and you'd, <laughs> you'd, you'd bury the last little bit, you know. That, that probably put me off Guinness. Um, but I think throughout this lockdown, I've kind of taken a liking to Bud Light. Um, you can get the in the local supermarket; they do good deals on the the crates of that. So I've I've kind of got into that, and it's it's calorie wise, it's not as as heavy as some others. So I've kind of started looking at that since I've stopped playing. Favorite uh, favorite band? Favorite band? Um, my music is is weird. That like. Genuinely, I, I like all sorts of music and um, uh, probably Oasis in terms of like, you know, have, would I say I've listened to them really recently? Probably not. You know, as I said, you know, I'll put on my Spotify and, and there's totally random songs will come on that people will probably think, what's going on here? But I just I just like different types of music. And But if I had to, if you had to, you know, probably pick one, it would probably be someone like Oasis. If you could, if you could have been a professional with any sport other than football, which one would you have chosen? Um, probably I, I like golf. I like I haven't played now for a number of years because you know when I had the issues with my knee and stuff. If I went playing golf, my knee would ache for two or three days, so I just stopped playing. Um, but I think yeah, probably golf, and I think. It's totally different to football in terms of like it's not a team sport, it's an individual sport. It's all down to how to what you do, um, and then obviously you have the team element for the Ryder Cup, etc. So, so yeah, I probably probably would have liked golf because you're out and about, you're you're constantly out and on the grass, and um, I think golf would have been probably one that, um, if I had had the opportunities, I would have liked to get involved with. Last two questions, John. Back to the football. Um, best manager of your career for you and why? Um, again, I've had a number of good managers. When I first went to Stockport, uh, Gary Megson was there. He was the, the original manager that signed me. Um, he was really good, but I probably didn't uh, have too many dealings with him. Um, I think, you know, Craig Levine and Peter Houston, um, different in their own right. But really, really good. Um, it's it's hard to pick one eh? because like they've all had, they've all had positive, um, some sort, some form of positive impact on me. So I, I I probably won't pick one. I think you know, Eusty has obviously went on and won, won a cup, and it was you know you you remember that, and you know obviously very grateful to Craig for the opportunities at, at Dundee United, and obviously at Hearts. Um, and then Ali McCoy again, as I said, with like man management skills was different class. So I think they've all had different qualities, but they've all been very, very good. Brilliant answer. And the last one, staying on management, you've talked about the managers you've had. Right now, 
magic wand, you're out of retirement, you can choose to sign for any manager in world football today, which one are you choosing and why? Um, being a Man United fan, it's probably hard to say this, but probably Klopp. <laughs> you know, I think I do, you just look at, you know, the way, the way he conducts himself and the way he carries himself and, you know, you can see the genuine love for the players and for every... You can see that he's he's there for the players and he, he, he wants people to succeed. And, you know, I think looking at, at someone like Klopp and, uh, again, it's a difficult question because, again, they've all... Like, when you watch the Man City documentary, you, you see it, you see that element with, um, you know, with Man City. And then you look at, you know, Pochettino, for instance, and the way he went, the way things with Spurs, like they're all... They're all different class but I just think Jurgen Klopp for me at the moment um, you know is just slightly ahead of Pep and he's slightly ahead of uh, Pochettino um, and I think just because I think he just really really genuine and um, just looks like a really good guy yes they're all very very tactically astute and, and they all know the game and they know what way they want the teams to play um, whether I would fit into Klopp's style, I probably don't think I would. I'd probably need that magic wand again to give myself about <laughs> an extra fifteen kilometers of pace, an hour of pace <laughs> in my legs, you know. But um, but yeah, I think he would be one that you know you could you could you could really connect with, and and someone that you would probably you know really want to do well for. John, it's been an absolute pleasure. I wish you all the best in your coaching career. As you say, thirty-seven years old. A, a, a game in football, a career in football that lasted so long as a player, winning trophies, playing for Rangers, Dundee United, coaching at Hearts as well. I look forward to seeing you back in the game soon and I wish you all the best. No, I appreciate it, Cam. Thanks for having me on. All the best. So we'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make our home in a deep sea cave And our shells will all be open They'll be filled with song, they'll be filled with song Dive down to the ocean And we'll make her home in a deep sea cave And her shells will all be open They'll be filled with song, they'll be